0: Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Credo Shot. First. I'm your host, Brandon. I just got up from nap trying to get a little things clear. You know, uh, I work a night shift job at a factory, so it's nice when I get these days off to kind of live like a human being and be awake during the uh, daytime. But now I gotta start trying to get back on that night shift schedule, which is a little bit rough, but, you know, whatever. It's been nice to be awake when my family's awake for once. Uh, anyway, uh, got, <laughs> got, uh, had, had an episode up last night, but it, it just, it got, it, I had to delete it, because for some reason, whenever I uploaded it, it didn't upload right. Um, I don't know if it's because I had too many segments going on, or what, but I had an episode that was like, uh, shoot, it had to be pressing at least an hour, and I tried to cram like a whole lot of subjects into it, but... Instead of doing that, instead of going for a super long episode um, tonight, I'm just gonna go with uh'm I'm, I'm gonna go with one subject and I'm going to make it as quick as I can try to covering one subject and then we'll go on to uh a future plan. Uh, for the episode that we'll see whether it works out in the uh, immediate future or not. But anyway, um, I have long said that if you're going to be a presuppositionalist when it comes to apologetics work, you might as well be Reformed. Um, now, I understand that many in the Reformed Circles are evidentialists or classical apologetic people, and that's not the debate tonight. That's not what I'm going to be focusing on, you know, uh, because I do acknowledge that those particular things have their place. But I am going to address Armenian presuppositionalism and how weak it is. And why you should be Reformed if you're even going to do presuppositional apologetics. You really should be Reformed for anything. Uh, If you don't come to the Scriptures with a monogistic understanding of God's um, salvific actions and works, then you're going to fall flat. Because one one of the questions, um, if you're part of the Reformed pub underground group which is a lightly moderated uh, group where pretty much anything goes uh, to put it simply Uh, it's not the reformed pub of the reformed pub cast it's a different group Um, there was a brother who and by the way before I get started on it this uh, I do want to say that in anything in apologetics in uh, evangelism in in sermons and songs whatever you do everything should seek to glorify God number 1 number 2 to glorify uh, not glorify but to edify the brethren and lift them up and strengthen their faith and number 3 to evangelize to the elect that may still be in the in the group of the reprobate In that order, exactly. So, we shouldn't seek to be men pleasers all the time. We should seek to glorify God and to please Him and then to edify and uplift the brethren and then be evangelistic. So, anyway. So, this brother uh who is a yeah you know, i think he's a he said he was a, a presbyterian or something but like anyway he uh he had a question and it had to do with he was talking to people who he had run into i don't know if he's, he he didn't say whether or not they were personal acquaintances or whatever but they obviously had a different worldview than him. And therefore, they had a different view of God than he did. And he, he started asking a few questions like, you yeah, know, was it true that I was preconditioned to believe and all this other stuff? And, you know, I got into the I, I, I decided to inject myself into the conversation and say, well, who's to say that they are not preconditioned for their lack of faith? I said whatever worldview you have, you are either preconditioned by your parents or by your friends, by the company you keep, and then you are preconditioning your the generations after you and your children for their belief or lack thereof. And I said, As Christians, we'll gladly admit to preconditioning our children to faith in the Lord and in the Scriptures. But, but you know, the atheists and, and the non-Christians also precondition their children to not believe. The only difference is that we don't lie about it. And I guess I didn't answer his question as as well as he had hoped or as he had pleased so he he went back to kind of clarify like well he he goes well i'm just want to know like how do we know that our god is true and then i said well we have we look at wh- who god is And what he has done with us, I said that our worldview is the only one that has God creating us with an intent. God God created us to think and speak, and God himself thinks and speaks. And he has revealed his thoughts, or the thoughts that he would reveal, because who can know the mind of God? But he has revealed to us knowledge and has spoken to us through his word. And the word is the Bible. And it it claims to have man formed in a careful process of the dust of the ground. And God created us with an intent. And with a decree. And no other worldview has that. We seem to be happy accidents in every other worldview. Even with um, the God of the Muslims, uh, to, to try to put it in clean language for the listeners out there, um, he spills his seed into clay, and that's how Adam comes about there's you know adam just comes out however he comes out whereas our god formed adam in a specific kind of way to have two arms two legs a mouth a nose some eyes you know two eyes two ears you know that's i don't know what adam looked like but you know he had to look pretty similar to myself and you so anyway and it says that we are made in his image. we are made in God's image now, what exactly that means you know that that's a whole different that's a whole different subject, but even in the atheistic worldview, it doesn't make sense because the atheistic worldview will say that we come about from the primordial ooze somehow becoming sentient one day upon some kind of energetic process, a group of cells, the primordial ooze, something that was not self-aware, somehow became self-aware. And this is a process which has not been repeated through any kind of scientific experiments. And... uh And... Therefore, it's just as religious as my faith in God. So, to say that science is not faith is being dishonest. Anyway, he he liked that answer, and then he decided to go further on in. And this is why I say that uh, if you're going to be a presuppositionalist, you might as well be reformed. Because then he said, well, it's not the atheists that I have problems with. He said, because atheism, atheism's best answers I've been able to shoot down. Uh, he, he says, uh, he says it, it's the other religions with a particular view of our God that I have a problem with. that That has got me shaken up. And then I said, okay, so who is God? And what is He? I said, did He not create the blind and those who see, the deaf and the dumb and those that speak and hear, all for His glory with an intention in mind? I said that the other gods... Of these other religions, these things happen because of some kind of process that they could not control or some kind of evil that they could not stop. Whereas our God flat out says that he has an intention and will glorify himself in each and every individual that he has created, whether they are regenerate or reprobate. And that... uh that every other religion uh, their gods require works necessary for salvation that they cannot give to humanity whereas our God has worked and he has finished that work and he is worthy of praise and he likes that answer very much and he's just like okay well I'm going to wait for other answers, and I, I don't know if any other answers came. Facebook's working really weird on my laptop tonight. So anyway, that that's the primary reason why I say that if you are going to get into presuppositional apologetics in the same vein as guys like Cornelius Van Til and Dr. Greg Bonson, you might as well just go ahead and be reformed because the answer that I gave... And it's answers that can be found in Scripture cannot be affirmed by an Arminian or anybody with a synergistic view of salvation. Because um, really, if you are an Arminian, if you don't believe in God's sovereignty and you believe that man's will 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 trump God's decree at every turn and that God can be resisted by man's, quote, free will, end quote, then the only way you can hold to that position consistently is to have open theism where God knows nothing. And it's been demonstrated. Uh, A very good debate between uh, an Arminian and an atheist is uh, Frank Turek versus David Silverman. Now, uh, uh, it, it is important to note that Frank Turek is not a presuppositionalist. He is an evidentialist. But, I mean, the same kind of Armenian theology is is greatly criticized by atheism in the same way. And even, like, we have been saying it for a long time. Us, us who hold to Calvinism have said it for a long time that uh, Armenianism held to consistently will be open theism, but even the atheists know it, because David Silverman in that debate against Dr. Turek uh, flat out kept going if God knew this was going to happen, and if this is a matter of free will, then why did he continually then then why did he even put the 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 tree of knowledge there in the first place, and it was an it was a question that frank was just not able to answer uh it was it was um it, it was predictable to be honest and i mean you can find it on youtube uh so anyway what we're going to do is i'm going to give a quote from the 1689 London Baptist Confession. My computer shut itself off. Went into sleep mode. And we're going to cover parts of Chapter Three of uh, of the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Uh, chapter Three deals with God's decree. And where do I want to go? Well, I know where I want to start. Okay, so we're just going to go from paragraph 3 all the way to, you know, chapter 7, or paragraph 7. Um, the first couple paragraphs deal with God's decree as it comes, um, you know, with God's decree w- when it comes to his knowledge and attorney, and that is important. Well, you know what, let's just go ahead, we'll do the whole entire chapter. I mean, we have the time for that tonight. I was going to do three to seven, but, you know, we might as well cover the first two. So, anyway, if you decide you want to follow along, you can, of course, pause this and get into a place. If you have a copy of the 1689 London Baptist Confession, uh, you may pause this as you turn to chapter three, and we'll start with paragraph one. If you do not have a copy of it, but wish to follow along anyway, you can go to the same confession I am using by simply going to www.vor.org, that's V-O-R dot uh, slash truth, slash 1689, uh, slash 1689, bc 03html dot H-T-M-L. And that is a specific page that I am on right now. I have a copy, but I decided to use the internet for this because having a backlight helps. So, anyway. Paragraph 1. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably. All things whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as thereby is God is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. This one has several citations, uh, that being Isaiah forty six ten, Ephesians one eleven, Hebrews six seventeen, Romans nine, fifteen and eighteen, James one thirteen, First John one five, Acts four twenty seven and twenty eight, John nineteen eleven, Numbers twenty three nineteen, in Ephesians one, verses three to five. Going on to paragraph two, although God knoweth whatsoever may can, may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath He not decreed anything because He foresaw it as future, or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. That that basically means for. For those, you know, not familiar with Reformed theology, that basically means that God knows everything that's coming to pass, but that knowledge is based upon his decree, not upon some kind of, uh, bare bones, he looked down the corridor of time thing. That's, that concept is completely foreign to Scripture. And frankly, it's something that evangelicalism needs to abandon, uh, to the, uh, garbage bin of history because it's not a biblical concept and you know it's just it has a lot of weaknesses too and it's weaknesses that cannot be answered uh or cannot give an answer i've never heard anybody use the corridors of time illustration in a way that's uh, biblically consistent so anyway, citations used for that, Acts 15:18, Romans 9:11-13, 16, and 18. So we move on to paragraph 3, by the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ. To the praise of His glorious grace, others being left to act in their sin to their just condemnation, to the praise of His glorious justice. That basically means that God predestinates certain men and angels to salvation while the others are being left in a natural state of sin. Sin is the desire of man's heart. And God is passing over, if really to use a a little bit of an illustration, we'll think back to to the Passover of Exodus, where God passes over the children of Israel, while He judges, He, he passes over those who have the blood over the the post and lintel of their of their doors of their houses. He passes over those to live while he judges and takes the lives of the firstborn of those who do not have that blood. It's sort of the same it with Jesus Christ because that is a type. There, like That is a fulfillment of a promise in the Old Testament while it is also a type and foreshadowing of what will happen in the New Testament under the covenant of grace with uh, Jesus Christ where God... Uh, passes over those with the blood applied on their and on their hearts and takes those who are left to their sin to be judged in eternity you know but it, it could also be said that god chooses and picks out those and takes those with that blood while he leaves those passes over those without that blood to leave them in their sin that they are already committing as is the desire of their heart. Uh, and that would be the temporal kind of uh, view of that. The eternal view would be God passing over those with the blood. Uh, both the illustrations, I think, are biblical. So, And of course, just as you know others being left to act in their sin to their just condemnation to the praise of his glorious justice we have to the praise of his glorious grace and the praise of his glorious justice those are the chief ends of what salvation and judgment are um it's not about us the bible's not about us the gospel's not about us it's about god uh When you come to the viewpoint of it being about man's redemption, uh, then you make the whole entire Christian religion anthropological, where it should be uh, theocentric and centered completely around God and his work and what he has done. Because um, there is not a single verse in the Bible where it says that man uses his free will to choose God. It doesn't. Say that anywhere, but so um, citations used being First Timothy five twenty one, Matthew twenty five thirty four, Ephesians one five and six, Romans nine twenty two and twenty three, and Jude verse four. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyways, moving on to paragraph four. These angels of men, thus predestinated and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed. And their numbers so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Citations used, Second 2 Timothy 2.19 and John 13.18. That means that God has each and every one of His children numbered. Not everybody is His child. There are men out there who are children of Satan and children of the world. But God has every one of his children, every one of his servants are numbered. He knows them on a personal, intimate kind of level. Not on some kind of general, broad-brushed, universalist, you know, it's just generality. And there's nothing special about anybody. Whereas with the Christians, we are peculiar in particular. And the view that God uh, give it, it's all just a matter of free will. And that Christ supposedly died for everyone, which he didn't. He only died for his elect. But we'll get into that topic much later on down the road. Um anyway that view is not consist that view is not consistent with scripture because you're applying a universalist stance and it is a universalist stance. Um you're broad brushing the entire human race and making broad generalizations about salvation that scripture just plainly doesn't do. And it's an error that does need to be corrected. But we move on to paragraph 5. Those of mankind that are predestinated to life, God before the foundation of the world was laid, according to his eternal and immutable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love, without any other thing in the creature as a condition or cause moving him thereunto. It is this... This is one of the reasons why I'm a Trinitarian. is because of of the counsel of God. This cooperative agreement between... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, when when I say cooperation and agreement, it's not using human uh, humanity terms. It's used in the roles and offices and and so on that that specific persons in the Trinity have. For you know, for example, it wasn't the Father's role to die on the cross; it was the Son's, and it was the Spirit's role. To regenerate the heart of man and to be the comforter and so on and so forth. And these three have a substance to them in which they are all three, one God. The substance undivided, co-equal and co-eternal, they have always existed. And in eternity past, by their own counsel, they have chosen Um, specific individuals in Christ to be saved and it's out of his mere free grace and love without any other thing in the creature as condition or cause moving him thereunto. When you make it about choice and free will, you are still making that an action. You are still making that a something that Man can boast of. You are making that a work because it is... Choice is a verb. I don't get why people don't understand that. Choice is a verb. And the Bible says that it is due to God's grace. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of our works. It is the gift of God. And choice is still a verb. Choice is still an action. Choice is still a work. And so it's not about choice it is by god's own counsel and his own will and when people say that's not fair well truthfully the fact that god even decided to to preserve mankind and not destroy the entire human race at adam's fall or to preserve noah through the flood That stuff wasn't fair either. Not when we're talking about God's perspective. God shouldn't have had to. He would have been totally justified in destroying the entire human race at the fall of man. And he would have been totally justified at letting Noah die in the flood also. So you don't want to go into fairness, because fairness would be that God throws each and every one of us into hell right now. That would be fair. So I don't know why some people are socialistic on this personal issue, because truthfully, it is a socialist gospel to believe in Arminian theology. Like when we're being honest about it, it is a socialist ideology. But, that's, I'm already taking too much time on this, so I'm just going to go ahead and move on, give the citations for this paragraph real quick. Ephesians 1, 4, 9, and 11, Romans 8, 30, 2 Timothy 1, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Romans nine thirteen and 16, In Ephesians 2, 5, and 12. And we move on to paragraph 6. As God hath appointed the elect unto glory, so he hath, by the eternal and most free purpose of his will, foreordained all the means thereunto. That means, you know, God's the prime mover. He is the unmoved mover in this. And whatever means, like if you heard it from like a preacher or a street evangelist, or you were you you heard it from a family member or whatever, you know he he has he, he provided those means and he declared those means from eternity past, according to the free purposes of his will, and that's how that came about. It's not by any other con concept of man's will it's by god's will and god's decree moving on wherefore they who are elected being fallen in adam are redeemed by christ are effectually called unto faith in christ <clears throat> excuse me by his spirit working in due season are justified adopted sanctified and kept by his power through faith unto salvation Neither are any other redeemed by Christ or effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only. That means that Christ only dies for the elect. And what gets me is that so many people out there want to believe in um, the perseverance and preserving of God's children unto eternal life no matter what they do and yet they still want to believe that this is a matter of free will that's inconsistent because how is if man was able to choose God then what's stopping man from choosing to quit following God it's not a consistent kind of view it's not a consistent kind of view at all Um, so Anyway, citations used are 1 Peter 1, 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, 1 Thessalonians 3, 9, and 10, Romans eight thirty, Second 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, 1 Peter 1, 5, John 10, 26, John seventeen nineteen, John six sixty four. So we move on to the final paragraph and after this we'll give some uh, future plans for the podcast coming up in the next little while and then I'll get off here anyway uh, paragraph 7 the doctrine of the high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care that men attending the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. So shall this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God, and of humility, diligence, and abundant consolation, to all that sincerely obey the gospel the confessors of the 1689 in this chapter with the fact that it is a mystery on why god has decided to glorify himself in this way it is a mystery on who exactly the elect are those who are going to be christians it is a mystery of why God chose specific individuals in terms of there being nothing special about them than other people aside from the fact that he is glorifying himself through these specific individuals and passing over the rest, and that this kind of doctrine, this doctrine right here, should be treated with great care because... You know, we, we use you, you hear the terms cage stager a lot. It's a cliche, and I don't like it very much. But, you know, you do have some brethren out there who are, you know, once they hear the doctrines of grace, and I'm no exception to this, when I was, became a Calvinist, I was the same way, And when you hear the doctrines of grace and that you start to understand God's predestination a bit, you get really gung-ho and cavalier about it. To the point where you're willing to just absolutely smash down the doors of Arminianism because you had been trapped in that system for so long, and you were stuck in the worst kind of theology for a long time because like if you're if you're a person who was raised up in a reformed family and you continued in that. I'm happy for you. I did not have that. I grew up in a Pentecostal setting, and after that Pentecostal setting, I became an atheist. And then when I came back, um, I was an IFB, and I continued in that until literally three years ago, if that, where I became a Reformed Calvinistic Baptist a particular Baptist with a view on covenant theology. And anyway, when I first got that, I was ready to just knock down the doors of every Arminian doctrine. And, you know, there is such a thing as um, as using prudence in such things because it, the doctrine is not there to destroy Arminianism. The doctrine is there in a, it, to... To praise God and to be thankful for, <clears throat> excuse me, be thankful and reverent to Him for His His uh, His grace in saving you, and in the fact that you are saved not of your own works but of Him, and that you should. Um, Take heart in that assurance, and to be humbled by it. And when you are humbled by it, you also need to be very vigilant of other false doctrines out there that would seek to um, that would seek to challenge your belief that you are saved and that you are to uplift other brothers and sisters in Christ in this in this doctrine and since we are made new creatures we are now empowered to obey the gospel because where we were before we were not able to but now we are and citations used are 1st Thessalonians 1 4 and five, Second Peter one ten, Ephesians one six, Romans eleven thirty three, Romans eleven five six and twenty, and Luke ten twenty, and so that brings us to the end of the discussion for the night, and um, we are going to uh, get ready to close out the episode with some future future plans, um, what other kind of topics am I planning on covering? Uh, I don't know yet. Um, I just take everything by what I see, uh, on my Facebook feed and I, I just by what I hear and what I talk to people about. Um, I do have like hobbies and stuff like that, you know. Uh, I play music, I play video games, I watch movies. I read books you know i 'm like into a lot of stuff and like i also you know i haven 't been in a while because i've haven't had the money put up for it but i've i 'm also a Brazilian jiu jitsu practitioner and hey if you 're into martial arts, um there is a Facebook group that is geared towards reformed theology and uh martial arts, and that is the reformed dojo on Facebook, and you can follow them, and anyway, um, I'm into a lot of stuff, and I'll probably cover some of that with, like, like how does a, uh, how you, you can have a Christian worldview in playing video games and stuff like that, and, like, is it edifying to watch certain movies and, you know, stuff like that, so uh, we'll probably get into stuff like that, and, you know, just kind of ha- hang hang loose and just take everything from a casual thing. Uh, as far as anything else, like I'm still looking for a co-host, and um I do plan, I do still plan on trying to have a co-host for this show Uh, I do have somebody who is interested in an interview that would be Brother Matthew Colvin from Virginia is a Reformed uh, preacher. I don't think he's a pastor. I know he's a preacher. I think he's uh, ordained as a preacher. And uh, he he messaged me saying he was interested. So hopefully one of these days, sometime soon, we can get him on the show. We can have a little back-and-forth discussion. I'm now able to share this stuff over Facebook. Uh, Instead of just copying and pasting a link, it will actually show up in my feed once I'm done. So... We'll uh, get ready to end this episode, and solidio gloria.